the reason why college was as difficult for me by the end was because I was waiting to get a open heart surgery. But Paige, welcome to Millennial Manhood, or I guess tomorrow to, or today, Millennial Womanhood, a special, special edition, as always. I'm pumped about this conversation for a couple of Me reasons. Too. But you and I reconnected. So we knew each other in college, reconnected on a professional front due to what both of us of what both of us do for a living. And after that conversation, I was like, okay, so awkward, but I have a podcast. You want to come on it? And you were like, sure. <laughs> so and I'm so thankful and honored that you asked me. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, I think we're going to have a, a super fun conversation. I think I know where I want it to go, but we'll see where it goes. But if we even touch on some of the topics that we originally discussed, I mean, I'm curious to see what the feedback's going to be because a lot of our conversation is going to revolve around healthcare in America. Yes. So for the for the people in the 85 other countries in the world who listen to this, you might be thinking WTF is going on as we're talking through this. But for people who are in America, which is the overwhelming majority of the people who listen to this podcast, we're probably going to drop some nuggets for you. I don't know about you guys. And Paige, I don't know about you, but before I got into the space that I'm in, I, I had a very cursory understanding of healthcare uh, in America. So, But before we go down that diatribe, Paige, who are you? What's your story? 10,000 for you. For people who have no idea who you are, who are you? Well, I am Paige Carter. I am a twin sister, um, a daughter, a friend, um, and mostly um, these days a professional um, is probably how I identify the most. Um, I work as a human resources generalist for a community bank in um, Middle Tennessee and really love doing it. My career um, has kind of brought me to human resources by virtue of a lot of different amalgams of jobs. Um, and so now I'm sitting squarely in the human resources space, having been a benefits broker, um, having worked with um, FCRA in background reporting um, with a staffing agency, and now I'm just uh, been working on my MBA um, at the University of Tennessee, which I just absolutely love. And through that process, have really gotten to the point where I am able to help um, the company that I work for with their benefits, um, sort of on the, I guess I would say, user side. You're more on the client side, I would say, in the benefit broker space. Um, so that's kind of me, millennial, obviously, sort of a mid-millennial. Yeah, you're the you're the um, too young to be Vine famous, too old to be TikTok famous millennial. Yes, I don't even have a TikTok. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. If I was 19 right now, I'd be crushing it on TikTok. I'm fully convinced. That's, that's you know, just like my jam. <laughs> if I were 19 right now, I would have like a YouTube channel. I would be <laughs> all like, <laughs> I would totally have so such a different career than I do now. Um, but you know, when you when you grow up on the internet. <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot you can do. There's so much you can do, which really interesting. So you said this before we started recording. So sorry if you didn't want the world to know this, but you actually said if I had asked you a year ago to come on a podcast, you wouldn't have done that. I'm curious. I want you to expand on that. I'm curious. Why? Well, uh, really, it's because I started my MBA program. Um, and and also, you know, part of part of growing up and, and getting to your late 20s and sort of sort of looking ahead um, into the horizon of your 30s is really such huge growth. I mean, you make in in 
in just two years, you make strides that you wouldn't make, you know, five years before that time period. So um, your late 20s are, if you want them to be, um, and I did, they can be absolutely life-changing and monumentally Mm. life-changing. And for me, that process started with um, getting my MBA and working on my MBA and the amount of confidence that I have really gained from doing that is is immense. And I say that because I am put into situations daily, um, both at work and academically, where I am having to be graded, as well as, you know, being evaluated and getting feedback. And um, by nature of being a human resources manager, you kind of, that's a lead by example position. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned, I have a twin sister um, who is a naval officer mm-hmm. and she is amazing. Um, like, gosh, I could talk about her all day if I, if I could. Um, but she is, is, is a key part of that too. Um, she really helps me get to a place where I am just not worried about what other people think about me. And I'm more worried about, or not even worried, but I'm more focused on how I can help others and, and what my strengths are in, in helping both companies um, and, and group projects and such at school. Ooh, I love that. Okay. So just personally, when you and I spoke, I guess, two or three weeks ago, I want, and granted, it's been like a decade since we had talked since before that. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, it's, it's not like I've seen a gradual change in you. It's just like, oh, and I think you're like maybe two or three younger, years younger than I am um, anyway. Mm-hmm. So even in college between being a freshman and a junior or a freshman and senior or whatever it was, I mean, there's a massive gap in just the strides you make as a human being. So, but I 100% noticed that when we were talking, I was like, okay, she's like really coming to her own and I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> thank you. But, but I, I want to, I want to uh, piggyback on something you said there. So the, the challenges that the MBA program, for example, and your professional career in general, and the strides you've made in your la- late twenties before you actually got in your MBA, like you, you signed a paperwork, you, you gave your deposit, you clicked yes on, you know, are you, are you going in fall semester or whatever it was? How many times did you try to talk yourself out of it? Ooh, that's a great question, Yavitsa. Um, it was actually not my first attempt at graduate school. Mm. Um, and um, so so little, well, little known fact, maybe well-known fact, um, I have been married and divorced. Um, and during my marriage, before I got divorced, I had actually tried to get my graduate degree done then. Um, and I actually, I chose a, an MBA course at that time. Um, and I did it through an online university. Mm. And I just struggled so hard with the online learning and with not having an any in-person um, synchronous uh, situations and it was just really tough um, so during that time period I really just felt like I couldn't do it and um, and and I had some some struggles in my life I think at that time where um, you know I had some some people some toxic people um, that were not making me feel like I could do it and so I started listening to um, a podcast about four years ago, um, and and during that podcast there was a a conversation um, just just kind of about you know what can you do like what can you do um, emphasis on can and so I really started to to kind of come into my own on you know my next best choice um, you know four years ago with that and have really brought myself to a place where. I guess I would say two years ago, when I was working in the benefits broker space, I realized that 
it wasn't a career that I wanted to continue, you know, toward management or, or anything because it was a little too competitive for me. And so I started looking at programs, um, MBA programs, and I started looking at things I could do um, to learn more. Um, and I looked at programs that were synchronous in-person learning programs. And so I found one that that really seemed to, to look like it would work for me. And I started that application process about this time last year, um, April of, of 2020. And it was right around COVID. Um, and I realized that if I was going to capitalize on the time that I had, you know, being at home, not really working a lot, um, or not really working so hard anyway, um, not having to travel so much that maybe it was the perfect time to start an MBA program. And actually, I had a terrible GPA um, graduating UT uh, from undergrad, like hmm. horrible. And so I had a, a conversation with um, the the dean and the director, and we talked about my GPA. And I said, listen, you know, my work experience speaks for itself. Um, and I really love my job. I love what I do. I want to be doing, I want to be pursuing this MBA because I see myself in the human resources space. And, um, you know, after a couple of conversations, they agreed to waive that GPA requirement and uh, accept me into the program. And so I am one of those one of those people with the story of I didn't do so well in college, you know, undergrad, um, but I found my direction toward my late 20s and and really just went for it once I, I found a direction. Ooh, so that's been there's so many good nuggets in there. First of all, I love that uh, one. Is it bad that like selfishly when you said you started listening to a podcast, I was like, oh, please say it was millennial manhood. Um, <laughs> well, millennial manhood wasn't a thing back in 2016. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It was an idea. It just wasn't, it wasn't executed. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was an ether somewhere. Um, but two, I love the fact that, oh, it drives me freaking insane when people say I can't. It's like, no, 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 no. You just haven't figured out a way of how to do it yet. There ain't, there's no such thing as can't, you can figure it out. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, I can't go to graduate school because I partied way too hard. Not saying this was you, but I'm saying like, I have some friends who partied way too damn hard freshman year. <laughs> like <laughs> So you and I met freshman year um, during SGA, and I just remember being so impressed by you and your um, your speaking quality, actually. That was what impressed me the most about you um, when I was on freshman council. <laughs> so well, it does not surprise it. me that you're on a podcast. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been told I uh, have the cadence of Barack Obama and I'm like, huh, politics aside, I take that as a compliment. I would agree with that. Yeah. Just, uh, just, uh, with the pauses and the elongated <laughs> syllables. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Obama for yeah, having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those things. Um, but yeah, I love the fact you went to, you went to the Dean, you went to the admissions people, you went and you explained your story and you said, Hey, look, here's the deal. Here's why I want to be part of this. And you know what? They might've said no. And you would have found another program and tried again and tried again and tried again. So my encouragement to people listening to that is just, just don't take no for an answer. It's not an acceptable answer. If you want to do something that's going to better your life and better your family's life. I mean, <laughs> I use this example, like I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. When war started in Yugoslavia, you couldn't just leave the country. That's not how it worked. <laughs> like my dad had to get real creative mm -hmm. to get us the hell out of there. Okay. It was, he kept a gun on him at all times. And if a police officer tried to stop him, he wasn't pulling over. 
Like it's civil Oof. war. I'm yes. going to find some fake documents. I'm going to get the hell out of here. <laughs> like that's that, like you, you, you have to get creative. So, but that's a, that's another thing. Um, you know, and, and you bring a good point there because I think that we get so pacified as Americans in our own experience that we forget that there are other people, other countries, other, you know, cultures that are suffering and having a hard time. Um, I, I majored in undergrad in Spanish and it was because it was a direct result of me growing up and being in school with mostly Hispanic students mm. when I was growing up in central Florida, very rural uh, central Florida. And that the reason why I wanted to learn Spanish was because most of the kids were making fun of me in Spanish. So I mm. wanted to learn <laughs> what they were saying. Um, but through that experience, it really grew me to a point, you know, where I, I studied um, Hispanic cultures and, and I really understood and, and their economies because I had a, a, a world business um, minor. And really just, you know, the GDP of different countries versus the GDP of America is crazy. When you look at it, when you really look at it, it's, you just, we, we have so many opportunities because we're Americans and man, I try to, I drive that point home anytime I can to anybody. Yeah. And, and it's, I think, yeah, I think the thing that frustrates me is in discourse, it's almost as if it has to be like this all or nothing thing. Like America's either the greatest country that's ever existed and God literally placed it on earth as his chosen kingdom, or it's the most evil place that's ever existed. It's like, well, time out guys. Like it's somewhere in the middle. Like there's really mm -hmm. crappy parts about America and American history and American foreign policy that does not change the fact that literally people from all over the world want to come here because of the opportunities mm -hmm. like are yes. dying to get here. That is a fact. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, I can even say, you know, and, you, and this has been your experience as well. I'm sure Yavitsa, I, I'm doing better in my age than my parents were when they were in their twenties. Well, when my parents were in their 20s at my age, my mom was ducking on a bus on a way to a refugee camp in Serbia trying to get to safety as bullets were flying Point through. Point so, freaking made. So, like, actually, she was like five years younger than I am. So a little, little I'm oh. a bad comparison. <laughs> Probably. Well, not so much a bad comparison because you're very, very successful and you did make that happen. You know, that's such a cool phrase to say when you're in your 20s, you know, to borrow from John Mayer, but you did make a lot of that happen for yourself. No, I appreciate um, that. And, and it's been really impressive to watch. And a lot of people helped. A lot of people helped. I did not do it on my own. Yes. Um, so, okay. So let's, let's, so I remember you told me like college was hard for you, but for right. a plethora of reasons. The reason why college was as difficult for me by the end was because I was waiting to get a open heart surgery. Yeah. So, so I was going to get to that. You know, when somebody says college was hard for me, so, so just personally, very completely my point of view i thought college was pretty easy just gonna <laughs> throw it out there like i enjoy i think part of it for me was like i enjoyed what i was studying like i've never liked school until college personally because i was always for, like i don't care about biology i don't care about chemistry just personally i understand it's important i just don't care so right. i'm not engaged and in college, I got to study only the things primarily that I really enjoyed. So for me, the way my brain works, it made it really easy for me because I wasn't constantly swimming upstream. And obviously, I didn't have health issues. So that makes it a hell of a lot easier. So, so when somebody says college was hard for me, because of my personal experience, I'm always trying to wrap my head around like, okay, well, how, why? And, and so let's, let's talk about that. So obviously you're waiting for open heart surgery. Like, I mean, you're, you're 21 or 20 or whatever you, you hear, you got to have 
heart surgery, like what is going through your brain? Well, yeah, um, a lot, you know, just a lot, a lot, you know, so I was born um, with a condition called critical pulmonary stenosis, um, congenital critical pulmonary pulmonary stenosis, which basically means congenital means it happens from birth. Um, so it's something that is created before you were born mm. or an issue that's created before you're born. Um, critical means that it is, you know, life or death. Um, and then pulmonary stenosis basically just means that my pulmonary valve was completely closed mm. um, when I was born. So what that meant was that, um, and thankfully, I mean, timing in, in the world, um, I just think that God is on my side with timing um, all the time, because me and my sister were born premature, and we shouldn't have been. Um, but because we were born premature, I was able to survive, um, because my heart wasn't fully developed. So there were still a few, there's a there's a thing called a foramen duct um, that that closes at the top of your heart when you, um, it's like the last hole, you know, to close whenever your heart is, is growing, whenever you're in the womb. And um, that duct was not closed when I was born and it was acting as the pulmonary valve. Um, and so that is why I was actually born alive. Um, and thankfully, there was a Japanese doctor who was in Texas. I'm a Navy brat. My dad was a, a naval uh, ensign, or not an ensign, um, quartermaster. Mm. But I was born in Dallas, and um, there just happened to be a Japanese doctor who was in the area teaching um, pediatric surgery. And he came and did the procedure for me. Um, I was about 10 hours old and, you know, had open heart surgery. can't imagine what my parents were going through during wow. that time. My goodness. I just talked to my mom about it the other day because I actually asked her to get the EOBs out from Blue Cross Blue Shield for my, my most recent heart surgery in 2016 in advance of this conversation. Um, and we were talking about it and she was, she really, you know, from an adult perspective, you know, from, from mother to adult kid just told me how crazy it really was. Um, you know, the doctor came to her and was, and had written like what was going on in my heart on a napkin. Cause that's how fast the situation was going. You know, this was early nineties. Um, and so there's been a lot of medical advancements. Um, but when I was growing up, I was able to keep up with my twin sister. So I was never like the sick heart kid um, growing up. I was on track in, in high school and all of those things. But then I started to get sick when I was in college, but I didn't realize that I was sick because part of having a heart disease is just being fatigued all the time. Mm. And so I just thought, you know, that was part of, you know, being a fatigued college student, you know, because I was studying so much, staying up all night, didn't have a very good circadian rhythm until I had to realize that that was just me you know? Hmm. And um, so when I was 20, actually 19, I think I was uh, still a freshman, I had to get um, a an ASD, atrial septal defect repaired in my heart, which means there was a hole in between the two um, atria in my heart. And my doctor thought it was about fit five millimeters long, turned out to be 15. And so I was just living with this huge hole in my heart that was affecting the way that my blood was being oxygenized, oxygenized um, in my body because of my pulmonary condition. And so that was really the cause of, you know, my, my tiredness. And after, after he saw, you know, sort of the degradation in, in my heart, he was, he sat me down. I was 20 years old and he said, you're going to have a heart surgery before you graduate college. Um, and I said, no, I'm not. And I was like, I have to graduate college first. And so that was my college experience was fighting against the surgery clock. 
Wow. Which I, I was able to complete. I graduated in December of 2015 and had surgery in January of 2016. Wow. Man, mm-hmm. that, that is intense. Yes. I mean, it was a pulmonary valve replacement with tricuspid repair, and I'll have to continually get valve replacements throughout my life. I, I just think back at the things that stressed me out in college. I feel like <laughs> such a jerk thinking through that. <laughs> no, don't. You know, and and it's like you think about people's experiences, and you 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 obviously compare them to your own, and then you just you just realize how blessed you are. I mean, I know some people in this in in the congenital heart defect space that do not do as well as I do. Mm. I'm grateful for that every single day. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. That's that's really really interesting. And you want to talk about you know, what was life like for you or for your parents? I mean, I'm assuming your parents were somewhere close to your age when you're at 10 hours old going through this procedure. Yeah. With, and when they have a, another baby who yeah. was just born also, Correct. and she was premature or like, or preemie, like they, like a, she was two ounces, basically. We had twin fusion syndrome. So I was the bigger twin, which saved my life. Um, mm. You know, so being a twin saved my life too. So um, you know, just uh, going back to the timing thing, couldn't have been a better time, couldn't have been a better time for me to have been born and for that doctor to be there because um, there were no doctors in America who could do that procedure at that time. Yeah. I, I mean, and it that, was a Japanese man. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, that goes into like the deeper question of like, if you were born 10 years earlier in America or 10 years earlier Shoot, if you were born today in, in some parts of the world, you wouldn't you wouldn't live. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand how common infant death has been through human history. Mm-hmm. If you go to our cemetery in our village in Bosnia, in our family cemetery, you see a lot of little headstones next to parents that are two, three months, four months, mm-hmm. like a lot. Going, you know, our family's been there since. 1798. So you can go all the way back to then you see these little, little headstones and it's, it was common. Um, Mm -hmm. so the, the ability that we have, like that's a freaking like miracle that we can, it is, I mean, birth itself is a miracle if you think about it, because everything has to go so well in order for it to happen. And so if whenever there's complications to it and those end up all well, I mean, I'm sitting here in front of you today, super healthy, healthier than I felt in high school, you know, yeah, it's unbelievable. So, okay, mm-hmm. so so you have the surgery in in January of 2016. What happens mm-hmm. after that? Well, that's when I started my career. So I went into um, I went into staffing agency working in their HR department. There was a, a staffing agency that was headquartered in Knoxville, um, and so I just went straight into their uh, department as a bilingual specialist um, to work on backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, and that really kind of put my foot in the career for human resources because dang, it's really hard to get into that field if you don't study it like crazy difficult so um which makes sense definitely makes sense um but yeah after after i had my surgery i felt pretty horrible um having open heart surgery is it teaches you a lot about life in a very very short period of time and what i mean by that is it just gives you a life experience that you typically don't really see um people have until they're you know in their 60s Mm. 50s um and so you know i had to deal with uh, my mortality 
um, and and the the reality of how fragile it is. Um, you know, when I was like 23, and and I was signing that paper that said, "Hey, um, do you want some extraordinary measures?" And I had to put a little, you know. Um, what do you call it? Uh, an amendment almost and said, listen, uh, sure. Extraordinary, extraordinary measures are fine, but only if it gives me the same quality of life or better that I had going into, you know, the surgery and having to make that decision when you're that young. I know a lot of people have had to make it, but gosh, it just changes the way that you view life afterwards. Yeah. Like how, how do you view life and death at this point after that? That's a really good question. I'm not afraid of death. Um, and and I really, honestly, Yavitsa, I feel, I don't necessarily feel like I'm living on borrowed time all the time, mm. but I do to, you know, to take a phrase from um, Phil Collins, do, I do, I do sometimes feel like I'm living on borrowed time and, and I try to create the, the things that I do in the world um, and, and what I learn, my focus is around, hey, you know, it's possible I could have a heart attack and it not go well or, you know, COVID if I had gotten it, you know, thank the Lord I have not and um, have been fully vaccinated, but that could have been horrible, you know, so I I live my life as if, and this may be morbid, this may be, you know, memento more, but I do live my life as if it's my last day pretty much every day. So I'm always telling people I love them. Um, I'm always calling people, checking up on them. Um, and I'm just, you know, anytime that I, I leave a, a situation or, um, or a conversation, I leave it as if, you know, hey, if this is the last time we had the conversation, is it, it has it been effective? Has it been loving? Has it been compassionate? And so that's kind of where I've been. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I, <laughs> I, I obviously I've, I haven't had a life or death situation like that, but on the trying to leave situations in a loving way, uh, this drives my wife insane. But if her and I are having like some sort of disagreement and we have to go somewhere or something like, like you ain't leaving this damn house until we've made up because <laughs> like we are exactly. not, we're not <laughs> going and driving somewhere that's and so dying in a car sweet. wreck. <laughs> um, um, and, and then our last exchange, I mean, we don't really, we don't really argue a whole bunch, but when we do, it's like, we're pissed off at each other and it's like, no, we're solving this one way or another. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that drives her insane. Cause she's like, I just want to be pissed off at you for a while. I'm like, well, get over it. Um, <laughs> smother her with your love. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you don't even have to love me, but just pretend like you do. Um, but yeah, it, it, the whole thing of just having to, like you said, like the, the do not resuscitate or the extraordinary measure or, or whatever it mm-hmm. may be. So, okay. So that's a life lesson in itself. Um, the next life lesson is the, is the medical bills. So let's talk about those. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I actually, um, because Vanderbilt is, um, my, my place of choice, I've been going to Vanderbilt since I was 14. Um, and Vanderbilt does an amazing thing with their, with their, uh, cardiovascular, um, department that when you're a pediatric kid and you have like a, a congenital condition, they have a program for you to basically just move straight into adult doctors who are also mm-hmm. congenital specialists, which is very important. If you have a, a heart condition that you were born with, it affects you differently than one that just comes on, um, you know, in in your old age or or in your not old age, but in your age um, as you age. So the way that you have to care for those patients is, is a lot different. Um, so 
we went to Vanderbilt um, when we moved to Tennessee. I've loved them um, until I started ha- having my own health insurance. <laughs> and I say that because when I when I left my parents' health insurance plan when I was 26, I started to realize how expensive things were. My my dad is a federal employee. Um, and he works for he works for the state. And so I was under his federal employee plan when I had my surgery when I was 23. And I remember my doctor sitting me down and saying, if you need anything else in the next three years, you need to get it done now. Because when you're 26, you're not going to have as good health insurance as you do now. Yeah. And I just didn't understand you know, him. I didn't understand that thought. I was like, health insurance is health insurance. I legitimately, you know, I, I thought about it like I thought about the cloud for a while, which was that I thought all the... You know how it goes. So I, before I realized that there were cables that tied everything together under the, you know, under the water it level in the sea, in the I was like, there. it just goes to the cloud. So that you know, like, everything just happens the way it should, and that is that. And yeah. um, boy, did I get a lesson in reality on that because. Oh, I remember getting my first Vanderbilt bill um, in in the mail, and it was something like two hundred and sixty thousand mm. um, dollars for my surgery. And I just, um, I lived next door to my parents at the time and I ran over to my mom and I was like, mom, oh my God. And she was like, don't worry, insurance is covering it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but, but, but Vanderbilt sent me this bill. And she was like, just don't worry about the bill. And that was the first time I ever, uh, I ever had the moment of like, wait a minute. So the way that billing works with medical stuff isn't the way that it works with everything else. And you're about to open up a whole can of worms here. (laughs) I know. And so I was like, what? And so I tried to, you know, I I basically made it my mission to learn about health insurance at that point. So that's why I went into the benefit space was because I was like, I'm going to need this for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. My employees are going to need this for the rest of their life. And this isn't getting, this is getting more expensive and it's getting harder to, to access the care. And, you know, I just made it my mission to really learn it. So let's, let's unpack how insane that entire dialogue just was. Um, (laughs) If I went to a car dealership and I said, Hey, I want that car right there. And they were like, cool, here's the car. And then I drove it off the lot. And then like two weeks later, I got a bill for like $230,000. I wouldn't buy that car, right? Like I, w- I would want to know like, hey, how much is the car? Like I love haggling. Like it's my favorite thing in the world. I, I, my, again, wife hates it. She's like, I want that car. I'm leaving. I'll be back in three hours. You do your thing. This makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm over here like with all the other foreigners, like going back and forth, like, bro, no, we're not doing this crap. I'm walking out. We're, They're coming after me. We're coming back in. I want like a steak dinner. Like there's all kinds of crap. Um, yes. So the fact that so let's actually use an example. So the Wall Street Journal did an article back in January where they did a year's worth of study. One hospital in Los Angeles. One hospital, not multiple hospitals. Mm-hmm. One hospital. One procedure. C-section. It costs anywhere between $6,000 and $66,000, depending on yes. depending on what your insurance was, depending on what they negotiated, were you on Medicare, were you a cash payer? Okay, time out. Mm-hmm. Time out. Let's, let's, everybody, let's stop. Is the damn procedure $6,000 or is it $66,000? Which one is it? Yeah. What is the base price? Where, what's the MSRP? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's, that's one of my big beefs with the system because people politically, the, the, the beauty of it is your, your politicians are manipulating you because they've got interest on the back end. You keep hearing this thing about socialized medicine. You hear, you keep hearing this thing about the free market. We have both. Medicare is a form of socialized medicine. 
Um, mm-hmm. The fact that we have multiple insurance companies is a, is a form of the free market. We don't have either though, truly. And, and, and it drives me insane. I'm a capitalist. I love capitalism. We don't have mm-hmm. a capitalist healthcare system because the number no, one thing you need, the number one thing you need is fair access to information. And you don't have that. That's and, a problem. Uh, yes, it is. A, it's a huge problem. I was really elated to see that the transparency law was passed um, and is going to be put into effect. I'm not sure if it has been or or if it if it's being staggered on in. the way. Yeah, it's being staggered. And uh, Vanderbilt will um, they put their prices online for all of their uh, um services. And that is something that I always appreciated about Vanderbilt versus, you know, and I've, I'm like a medical extraordinaire. I've had so many more surgeries other than heart surgery. I've broken my ankle. I've broken my (laughs) wrists. I've like, I've had tonsils, my tonsils out. So like I've had surgeries at different places that were at Vanderbilt and rural hospitals will, or or more, not Metro ones will typically charge more Mm -hmm. because they can and they you know they they don't have the they don't have the same rules they have to follow um as as metro places do or it's well there's it's less just, accountability too there's yes so and this is not me pulling something out of my rear this is backed up by 61 million claims and the data behind it physicians and medical facilities that i'm aware of are the only industry where if your doctor sucks, he costs or he or she costs more. Mm-hmm. Not like buying a car. If I go buy a Tesla and it's $80,000 or $120,000, it's a significantly better vehicle than a Toyota Camry. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If your doctor costs more, it's because he or she sucks at their job, typically. if the it, Because they're, they're misdiagnosing, they're having multiple treatments or screenings or that aren't necessary, et cetera. And there's a whole, there's a whole industry out there around predatory screenings and testings, particularly on to poor people um, yes. in the United yes, States. Yes, particularly for those and those who are not able to get Medicaid. Um, and, and especially immigrants are most, the, the ones who are most affected by this, uh, Hispanic people who um, have W-7 cards, they don't have the opportunity to, um, some of them, you know, ha- are, some people are able to have health insurance through their their companies, but most most of of those jobs are very much under the table jobs. And so where you see the urgent care is making the money is on um, people who don't have access, like they just don't have the access to healthcare that they should. Um, And that's where the money is made. And, you know, that's the first pain point for me is access, which the ACA really changed, really, really changed that access point. Um, Because before that, it was, you know, if you didn't have pre-existing conditions, then heck yeah, you're all about we're all about adding you to our group plan at work, you know, but if you had a pre-existing condition and you could possibly give a claim that's too high, then you you may have to get your own individual policy. And so it's the whole, the way that it all works is so confusing and it's meant to be confusing um, so that you don't understand exactly what you're doing and you don't understand what you're paying for so that that way you, you pay for more typically. Well, and the and the frustrating thing for me is as somebody who deals with medical professionals, not for myself, but for other people who need translation and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's some incredible doctors out there, like people who are literally walking saints on earth. Yes. And then there's some people who, if I was a slightly more petty person, I would ruin I would go out of my way to ruin their reputation because of how terrible they are at their job. It, it's like congratulations. You got your you you finished medical school. 
and you got DR in front of your name. That doesn't make you good at your job. Like we don't do that for any other industry. Like you, you don't walk around and be like, hey man, like congratulations, you got your uh, master's in public accounting and you got your CPA. It means you're a good CPA. No, you might still suck at your job. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what is this? There's always there's always someone who graduates at the bottom of their class. Correct. But they still graduate. Correct. So there's there's a spectrum in it, but we treat healthcare, taking care of our bodies um, without the proper information. And that's incredibly frustrating. Like I want to go to the best doctor. The best doctor is the one who's going to treat me the most effectively with the least amount of damage to both my body and my pocketbook. <laughs> that's the best doctor. Yes. But it's like, so you, you, you make a really good point about the, about, um, the MSRP and the transparency and all of that, because typically the way that you go and you get a service, um, if it's not a healthcare service is you go and you find quotes, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't do that in the healthcare space because it, that you just, it is so hard to do that because of the way that HIPAA, HIPAA laws, laws are involved. You have to give um, permission for doctors to look at your records. You have to, um, and your doctor, they're not going to do anything unless you give them a consultation first, which is if you don't have a copay, usually $150, $200 out of your pocket, just that consultation. Yeah. And so that gets really expensive to go and consult, you know, pay those cons consultation fees to get a quote on a surgery. I mean, it's just, you know, and, and also you want your medical team to be aware and know what your issue is. So before you get it, so it's like, there's so many things involved um, with getting healthcare and good healthcare and, and doing and having a good medical medical team, which I have a lot of experience with this. So I advocate for myself a lot in medical mm. situations, more so than most people my age, because I know whenever a doctor is bad, because I've seen it, I've been in, in and out of hospitals my whole life. So I will walk away and say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not paying my consult fee because I waited in this room, you know, for 45 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the but where where you get a really huge issue, you're not able to play this game of understanding how much it's going to cost, what is going to go into your deductible, what's going to go into your co-insurance or co-payments, and then meeting your out-of-pocket. So it's like every year, unless you have, um, like I do, I have to get an MRI every year that I, I meet my, my deductible for, it's almost impossible to budget for what your healthcare costs are going to be. It just is. Yeah. And it's... there. Yeah, it's it's impossible to budget. It's impo you. I want to go back to what you said about advocating. You have to advocate. Mm -hmm. So I came yes. into dealing with the medical world in a very naive manner in the last five years or so. I assume that, and I'm not saying there aren't people that that are looking out for the best interest of the patient. I just assume that that was the baseline, and that's not true. No, there's a it's lot. Not. Of, there's a lot of turning of beds. Oh, this person, we can't get them to do this procedure right now. And yeah, like their numbers are off and we shouldn't let them out, but we need to get them the hell out so we can turn this bed and put somebody else into it that we can charge for all these procedures. There's a lot of doctors who either don't care or care, but are overwhelmed. So again, I'm trying yes. to differentiate different people because there's good and bad people in every industry that includes the Absolutely. healthcare industry, that includes physicians, that includes everything. But again, we got to stop pretending like there's this magic halo over these people just because they agree to do no harm yet they're doing harm. Right. And it's, and it's not necessarily, it's where the harm is, is in the financial aspect of it. And, and, and going to your stick on media, um, the way that the media will purport things um, and, and how we get our information disseminated to us. And that's a big part of the whole um, conversation is how do we understand how health insurance works? Well, it's what tells us. And, you know, 
isn't the only carrier in the in the playing field, but they're the ones with lots of money to, you know, drive the conversation. And so what you have is you have this idea of, um, you know, the fully insured co-payment PPO HMO plan that is like the Cadillac plan. And that's the plan that you want to be on. But it may not be the most affordable one for you and your family. And, you know, you, you can't, you're buying healthcare, you're purchasing it. It's not like it's helping you, you're purchasing it. I mean, it does help you, I guess, but it is, you're purchasing it. And it's not this whole all encompassing idea of, oh, health insurance will cover it because that is gone and done. That, that's been gone and done for years now. I mean, over 10 years, if not 20. You know, back in the 80s, the way health insurance was done was you had a carrier that you um, that you used. You get the form from your um, for your service um, from whoever worked in that office, and then you fill out the claim for the service. And the the person at the hospital will either send it for you or you send it yourself to the carrier, and then the carrier sends you a check for that service. And so that's what was happening back in the 80s. And I feel like we're getting a lot back to that now mm-hmm. um, because the all of these plans that are just um, fully involved. They're, they're not speaking the best to every single group. So, you know, there, there needs to be a little bit more availability to choose than just have one option. Well, and I would also, I really want to harp on this for anybody listening. If you have any health issues, do not be afraid to advocate for yourself. Never. Do not be afraid to push back. And ask for a second opinion or a third if you feel, I have a friend who just just got a diagnosis for herself that she's been searching for for almost three and a half years. And she, she, she kept with the same doctor for two and a half. And I finally was like, this doctor is not trying to find this issue. They're just, they're looking at you for 15 minutes and they're like, oh, well, this thing that I tried, you know, six months ago didn't work. Let me try this new thing. And it's, they're not spending their time outside of your consult or outside of your, your office visit trying to see whether or not you have an issue that they don't know about or that they don't see. It's, you have to do a lot of that work for yourself. You really, really do. And I'm going to add this caveat. If you have some form of accent, really advocate for yourself. Because unfortunately, a lot of these folks are, yes. are tuning out the moment they hear that you don't speak perfect English. And that, that's yeah. what pisses me off more than anything. Because that's I'm so with you. Because that's the community that I deal with. The amount of anger and frustration I feel at a lot of these people and not just me, there's a lot of doctors in private conversation that I've had the same as that conversation with. So just be aware. I mean, I was told a couple of weeks ago by one physician about another physician. He just doesn't care. That's a thing. Again, I'm not trying to demonize an entire industry. I'm an employee benefits broker. I was a financial advisor before. You know how many shitty financial advisors there are? You know how many shitty mm. fi- <laughs> employee benefits brokers there are? Like who do not, mm-hmm. like the only thing they care about is the bottom line dollar. It's human nature. I'm yes, just, it is. I'm just telling you that because you're, because people are in such a terrifying position when they're typically speaking to a medical professional, that they just want a solution and they just want to be healthy. You cannot forget to advocate for yourself. You have and to. That's right there. What that point that you make and that point that you make about, you know, they're in a crisis situation, a medical situation. How, it almost like I almost want to ask hospitals, how dare you balance bill people for the $3,000 that their insurance coverage wouldn't pay for when they just had a heart attack? They can't go back to I mean, like, that is what like, it's almost and this is human resources coming out. Where's the human aspect? Where, when are we remembering that there's a human on the table? This isn't just, you know, a, 
piece of cake that's that we're making that we're slicing open on the on the table and then you know if it doesn't if we don't get the money for it then we don't get the money for it. it's it's a person and i when i think about you know the the families that i knew um you know who who had to pay a lot more than they were considering um in a year than they had budgeted for with a health insurance crisis or issue it just makes me so because that's where my parents were i mean god my parents had that so much with me i remember my mom um my my dad was out of work um when i was like six or seven no no no. i was in high school and i had an event um in in marching band and i i fainted and um i had to go get an mri because it was the first time I had fainted. And um, my mom, we didn't have health insurance at the time. And my mom had to go back and re and elect COBRA. When you elect COBRA, it starts from the gap. So yeah. um, she had to go and she had to pay all of those premiums for two months so that that way, you know, I could go and get my MRI. And it was just, you know, at that age, I was 14, 15. I had no idea how expensive that was. And I had, you know, and I, if I had known that it was expensive, I probably would have said, mom, I don't need it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not just, how scary is that? It's not just your premiums. It's also the premiums that the company was paying for you. Mm -hmm. You got to pay the whole thing to catch up. Yes. Um, yes. Which I think, I mean. And a 2% admin fee yeah. on top of it. So, so, but like the human thing, like I'll go back to the financial advisor world. Um, one of the things that drove me insane about that space is that we had a very bad habit of turning people into numbers, like our clients into mm. numbers. And that always drove me insane. I was like, dude, we're talking about people trusting you with the largest debt they'll ever have in their life. And that's the debt to themselves, their retirement, their life insurance, their uh, kids' college education, their, you know, th those things. And it's like, these are, these aren't numbers. These aren't some contest you're trying to win. These aren't some, you know, pissing contests so you can tell people you did better than other. Like, these are real human beings. So yes. it's, it's, Again, I think it goes back to to a concept of just human nature. Again, I keep going back to stuff like you got to advocate for yourself. You have to yes. if you're not getting the treatment that you think you need at one place, to hell with them. Go to the next one. Like keep trying. Again, going back to the original, there's no can't. There's just you haven't figured out a way yet. Absolutely. That and yes, going back to to what I my conversation earlier about, you know, asking myself all day long, what can I do? Mm -hmm. Um instead of what can't I do? Because there are, there are a lot of things I can't do. Let me tell you, getting an MBA has made me realize more than anything else in the world, just how little control I have. Here I was thinking I was going to like change the world. I'm, you know, and I would love to go <laughs> on and, and write like medical policy one day. Um, I, I see myself maybe doing that, but I, you know, I was, I had this grandiose idea and then I realized, you know, through my MBA course um, and all of the things that you learned that, oh, okay, so yeah, so politics drive this, uh, regula regulations drive the economy, the economy drives the economy, social things drive the economy, cultural things drive the economy. There are so many different macroeconomic as aspects that are driving the economy that we have no control over. Yep. And this is just the American economy. And so, especially in the benefit space, what I try to do is I try to focus on the one thing I can help my, my employees or, or my clients with. So what I'll do is, you know, say, okay, we're spending a lot of money here. How can we make that go down this year? Then next year, we're going to attack this next thing. And, you know, it doesn't, we, we can't reinvent the wheel, but we can try different creative things. Um you know, to, to make things better and to try to the insurance carriers at their own game. <laughs> well, 
Well, and 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 it, I don't want to demonize insurance. Again, I'm not. Let me make this very clear to any doctor or hospital administrator or insurance agent or what. I'm not trying to demonize you. You're you're a you're oh, no, necessary, just like anything else. I'm just saying we need to be real about the fact that some people like just because there's an industry that exists, some people are really good at it. Other people suck at their job. Like it's just like any other job. But let, let's take, yes, let's and, then, take, and people are caught in between. Correct. You know, you have to remember that there are people that are caught in between. Yeah. So let's let's take the insurance um, example. So let's take disability insurance for particular in particular. So I sell insurance for a living to companies. It's what I do. There are certain I won't mention names. There are certain disability carriers. There's no way in hell I will ever sell them unless they are the absolute last resort that that I can go to. Like big names. And then there's other ones that. I will always push first because of the quality that I know that they take care of from a customer service standpoint at time of claim. I was helping somebody file for a disability claim not too long ago. I'm like, cool, I'll help. There's a language barrier, blah, blah, blah. We log on to the online thing because I know with this carrier, you can you can log in and file a claim. I go to the file claim thing and it says service temporarily unavailable. Uh-oh, we have a problem. The reason that service is unavailable is they're getting overwhelmed with claims and they're trying to slow down the process. I'm like, Okay, we're going to call this number and we're not going to be able to file a claim. We called three different times in two days and got hung up on three times in the middle of a conversation. Wow. You know who I'm going to make sure will never, ever get placed with any of my clients, that company, unless I have mm-hmm. absolutely no other choice. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Again, now on the flip side of that coin, there's other companies that I've dealt with where it was literally as easy as like buying something off of Amazon. It was incredible. You know who I'm going yeah. to place my business with? Those people. So, mm-hmm. so let's, let's put the, I had the same experiences. Yeah. So, so look, let's put it on the, on the brokers. Cause we're the, like, I'm, I am the people that are bringing it to the marketplace. We, I am the people that is bringing the, the carriers to the employers. Okay. Instead of worrying about who pays you more, how about you worry about who brings the best quality? Yes. So let's call yeah. I mean, I'm here calling out my own industry. Right. Stop being, stop being a selfish prick. Yes. Let's the, remember Yes. Think about the human beings who are the employees who are getting these benefits. And so one thing that I thought was really interesting um, in in my work um, with my company now is that I was speaking with with our broker partner and um, I was trying to kind of get an idea of where I I did an analysis of of what our costs were from when I could find the the costs um, back in, I think, like early 2000s to now. And so our healthcare costs were super low 2000 until 2010. Mm -hmm. And then 2012, it started to go up a little bit and then 2014 like 2010 to 2014 it was going going up and then 2014 is when the ACA was passed and so it just went down Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because wanted to be in a really really competitive um, plan design Mm -hmm. um, and whenever the ACA passed for the marketplace so what they did was they cut their rates almost by half and kind of forced the rest of the the industry to do the same. And um, so that's kind of, and we're, now we're kind of clawing, clawing back from that because lost a little more money than they bargained for. <laughs> um, and then also they, they just had a recent lawsuit about antitrust that they had to pay some billion dollars of, back to their, their employers, which is fair. You know, if you're, if you're using your logo to monopolize, mm-hmm. then you deserve you deserve whatever happens after that. Um, you know, Amazon, Facebook, all of those people are in that space. And so, you know, those are, those are going to be interesting to, to think about, um, to come, but where, where it comes to the insurance space, 
there's so much money involved and there's no regulation. I went from insurance to banking. You did the opposite. And so I'm sure that you thought it was very interesting how difference, what the differences were and how little regulation. You still have to stay compliant, but you don't have as much regulation that you have to follow. And I went back to kind of go see where that started. And it was the Glass-Steagall Act um, back in uh, the early 1910s. And where that was enacted for banks where, um, you know, they were, they were taking money from loans from people and then just straight investing them. Mm -hmm. So the Glass-Steagall Act um, forced banks to either, they were either going to be commercial banks or they were going to be investment banks. So um, now you have like JP. Chase Morgan, who is a commercial bank, and then you have Vanguard, which is like an investment bank, right? So that didn't happen in the insurance space ever. It's never happened. And so what you have is a very similar situation um, where you have a lot of investments going on, a lot of premium dollars going, and then those are immediately invested. Um, but the regulations just don't exist. So it's there's no way to really rein that in. And it and that I think that that for me is is was a really hard understanding to to find um, throughout this entire space because here I was thinking very very similar assumption to you that health insurance is there to help people and yes of course it is of course it is I have myself very much benefited from health insurance my parents paid from that two hundred sixty thousand dollar Vanderbilt bill. They only had to pay about five hundred dollars mm. because of health insurance. Yeah. So I have benefited um, for sure, but it it's just it the whole space has been very hard to work in. Whenever you realize just what the loving the level playing field is is not there. You know, there's no level playing field for anyone, and, well, and it's. Don't mean to sound so defeatist, but it's just whenever you whenever you get insurance, you know, hikes every year and you're not seeing any decreases in the GDP. We 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 spend 17 percent last year, 2018, um, of our country's GDP on healthcare alone, versus like six percent or seven percent in other countries. It's just something's got to change. There has to be a change. Yeah, and the there there's a book that I read not too long ago called The Price We Pay. And I forgot the name of the author, but he's a he's a physician. And by the way, anybody like go buy that book on Amazon. You know what? I will link it in this show. Just go scroll down on iTunes or Spotify or wherever and buy that book and read it. It's unbelievable. But he talks about how he's had meetings with you know healthcare professionals, with physicians, with insurance company executives, etc. And it's 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 it, large ships take take a lot take a long time to turn and. Mm -hmm. I think insurance, insurance is a concept. I'm a nerd. It's like one of the coolest financial concepts ever. It's so incredible. Yeah. Oh, I love insurance. I'm always like, get a life policy. Like you need a, a car insurance, but like I love health insurance and all forms of insurance. Yeah, like like I'm a big fan of them. Risk pooling and mo and leveraging other people's money to alleviate risk on yourself is just incredible. As That, that human beings came up with that. It's just fascinating. Um, it's a great idea. Yeah. It's just that uh, the, the system has so many issues when it comes to actually taking care of people. And again, it goes down to every single level at the mm -hmm. very top, the politicians, because they're the ones who are writing policy to the very bottom of the responsibility of the individual, because let's not pretend like there's not personal responsibility on the individual. One, I've said, you know, you got to advocate for yourself, but two, unless it's something you have no control over, such as for example, your heart condition, like you need to be taking care of yourself. 
Yes. Like stop, yeah. stop being a lazy fat ass. I tell that to myself every single day. <laughs> Get off the get off the couch, hop on the Peloton, or go for a run, or go or go get a gym membership, or go to the Y, or whatever. Um, eat mm-hmm. healthy, like that is part of your personal responsibility. Like, and it is. and that's a that's a big issue we have in America because we don't really like being responsible for anything, much less you know our health. Um, <laughs> no, we don't. So so yeah, it goes from the very top to the very bottom and everything in between. And you know we're not going to solve it on this podcast, but I don't know, like may- maybe people who are listening to this learn something about about how it works that they didn't know beforehand. Um, and uh, and and where I speak is is from a very passionate place, having having grown up with with a heart condition and the understanding that I was going to have to really grow up fast, um, faster than my peers, um, really. And thankfully, I have a, a twin sister who who also did the. She chose to do the same thing. Um, she was not forced, you know, like me, where I had to kind of learn. Oh, I have to have like a career so I can have a good you know good access to healthcare to have a good group policy, all of that. It comes from a place of really wanting everyone to have the same, not only access point to healthcare, like I think that there should be a plan, you know, for 26 to 30 year olds who, you know, just go on the marketplace and they they don't have a lot of health conditions, but they may need a catastrophic plan. I think that would be a great option um, for those who, who really need it. But just the opportunity for, for access to, to some kind of baseline level would be really great because Germany does this. Germany has, do you know Germany's healthcare system? I mean, I lived there for seven years. I, I'll tell you right now, before you, before you start praising it, my parents hate it. So <laughs> I didn't know you lived there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's really neat. I was researching throughout because um, my thesis for school is, is health insurance. Um, and I was researching about they have a, a PHI and an SHI, so a statutory health insurance and, and private health insurance. Mm-hmm. And um, the statutory health insurance you have to take um, if you make $60,000 or less a year. And then the private one is if you make $60,000 or more, you have to take the private. Um, but the difference between it is in the private plans, you know, obviously those 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 carriers are, are making some money, they're making some profit. Um, and all of the carriers are making some profit in the space, but it's regulated by the government. And it's, you know, every it's the baseline is, is done um, by by the government. And that's what I would love to see in, in the United States. You know, I'm I'm all about private health. I'm all about private health insurance plans um, and, and, you know, money being made. Just the the way that it is now is it's such a, you know, we have we have people who are paying who are 55 and are 10 years away from being eligible for Medicare. And they are paying so much because they are paying based on their age, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and and they're afraid to leave their jobs because their health insurance could be on the line. Um, and it's so hard to qualify for health, affordable health insurance on your own if you aren't having, you know, your employer subsidize part of that cost for you. So, you know, the, the two spaces of, you know, those young people who don't really care, don't even think they need health insurance, and then those who are about to be Medicare eligible, you know, I just, what I would love to see is some more options for, for those age, age groups because they just, they deserve it. Anyone deserves health care. Well, and there's also, I mean, I've, I've talked to you about this a couple of weeks ago. There's also a company, their name escapes me now, but like their whole shtick is they'll come in and they'll educate your employees on what's actually out there. Because most people, for example, Medicare, and as they're approaching that age, they're just so intimidated by the machine that it is that they don't even mm-hmm. know what they qualify for. And there's a whole bunch of programs out there. I mean, I tell people even something as simple as buying a house. 
don't you dare buy a house without Googling all the grants you can get in your county for buying a house. You could probably cover your entire down payment off of grants because nobody's going after them. (laughs) Like it's, it's insane. There's all kinds of stuff. And it's the same thing. And, and, in that space, it's just so convoluted and complex. And, you know, I mean, you understand this. If, 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 if I'm dealing with a medical plan where, um, there's a couple of people on there that are really, really sick, they're dragging down the entire plan for everybody. I mean, if somebody's got kidney failure or somebody's got cancer or somebody's got whatever, like that is a, that is a big issue on a plan from a, from a mathematics standpoint. So if somebody can get better coverage, through Medicare, if they're at a certain age, you know, they should get on it if it makes sense. The question is who's going to educate them on whether or not it makes sense to where they can make a confident decision with all the information. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's been, um, interesting to explore as well. And here we are trying to, you know, uh, trying to make sense of the entire industry of healthcare, um, you know, as getting services versus getting those services paid for, paid for by your insurance plan. And there's so much, we have spoken for what, an hour, and there's so much that goes into it where we've barely even scratched the surface. And so you and I are, we, we're, you know, experts, intermediate experts or so in the field, and we still, it takes literally an hour to to give everybody that we talk to an, a, a good understanding of, hey, this is why this price is the way it is. And this is why you're paying this cost. And, you know, if you educate your employee on this and we start from wellness first, this really will, you know, drive your costs and claims down. And, um, and, and those kinds of conversations, you just, you have to have the time for, and you also have to have someone who's, who's ready, willing, and interested um, to listen. To, to listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and most most thirty year olds ain't to trying to too. listen. Yeah, no, oh no, no, and it's very possible that you know we we do this podcast and only like four people listen to it, and probably my mom and sisters, and that that's fine, you know, because one day, Wait, one oh, day people hold will be on. like, if four people listen to this podcast, I'm gonna be super pissed because something went terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> if that happens i got shadow banned by apple or something um spotify, spotify turned off millennial manhood no well i mean so you know yeah, yeah, what a, I got you. if you if you say we're talking about health insurance today i mean whoa what a fun conversation <laughs> hey but actually this got me thinking i might need to do a money talks episode on just how to even pick a a, a health plan that your employer offers you like yes, I, I, making the difference between yeah, like most people don't even know what a deductible is. No, it's it's amazing. Or that once they meet their deductible, they still have to pay costs until they meet their maximum out of pocket, yeah. and then that's whenever the insurance plan is paying a hundred percent. Like the the days of your insurance plan paying a hundred percent are gone. They haven't been here for years, honey. And maybe your parents had them had it that way, and that's what you learned from your parents. But like goodness, it's just that's not the way it is. You're paying your two thousand dollar deductible, and then you're paying your services after that. Like you have to, you have to meet it. And that, that's like the one thing that people do, especially people our age don't get. They're like, why do I have to pay a premium? And then I have to pay the deductible and then I have to pay this. And it's like, yep, that's how it's, that's how it's structured. Hmm. I'm, um, I think that's a good money talks episode. I'm trying yeah, I'm trying yeah. to do like cool money talks episodes. I've, I've doing one on options trading. I'm doing one on, um, Ooh. uh, what else have I done? I'm doing one on life insurance sometime soon. Uh, retirement accounts. I did one on budgeting, paying off debt. Like all the stuff I couldn't talk about when I was a financial advisor on the podcast. I'm like, let's talk about it because people need to learn 
and understand and, you know, get it, get it from somebody who's not trying to sell you something, but just trying to educate you on it. So we're coming up on time. Unfortunately, this mm-hmm. was awesome. Uh, got to ask you the question that I always ask Paige, you go back to 18 year old, wide eyed, bushy tailed you knowing all that you know about yourself now and knowing all that you know about the world in general, what's, what's one piece of advice you'd give yourself at 18? I've been thinking about this question and how I would answer it because I have listened to a lot of responses on your podcast. And I would say my answer would be trust yourself, listen to your gut and don't be afraid of what you think because your voice, my voice is important. It matters. um, And, and, and I have a lot to say and I, I spent a lot of time uh, muting my voice for a while thinking that that was what what was best and what I should be doing as a professional and all of that. And I have only recently realized that by using my voice, by by saying what I think, it's valued. And um, and I wish I would have done it earlier. Mm. Value your voice. Yes. Value your voice, people. Value your voice. Value your voice. You like, oh man. And sometimes people like me value your voice less because sometimes you're just talking out of your rear. Um <laughs> No, that was really good. I really appreciate that. That was fun. And 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 it kind of ties it all together into like the maturity and the confidence that you've grown and over the years. Oh, and and yes. look at look at us putting a nice little bow on the episode from the get-go. So great. So Paige, thanks for coming on. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Yavitsa. I've really enjoyed it and honored to be on on the podcast. Yeah. The, no, the honor is mine. This was, this was awesome. This was a fun conversation. Way to start a, a Thursday on, I think it's Thursday in the morning. Um, <laughs> everybody listening, manhoodpod.com info at manhoodpod.com. Um, share it episode, give it a five stars, all that good stuff. You got complaints, constructive criticism, email me keyword constructive. Don't just complain, offer a solution. And besides that, we'll talk to you guys soon.